Hey, we're in the book of Joshua. We've been working through the book of Joshua. <coughs> pretty exciting book and actually I think uh, pretty instructive as to how to live a good Christian life. We've uh, come through the battles and the conquering of the land. God told them there's some more you should be able to get. And uh, they divided the land. Joshua cast lots, it said, but God knew ahead of time who was going where. And we talked about how that applies to our life, how God put us where we are for a reason. And we come to chapter 18, and there's some more details have to do uh, with winding up of the war. And so, you look at a fellow like uh, Joshua, he's probably about 40 years old when he came out of Egypt. And then you add 40 more onto that, wandering in the wilderness. And then there's been seven years of war. So he's 87 years old, all right, getting close, close to 90 as we begin to <coughs> split up the land. And it's finally come basically to an end. They can still go out and take property. Uh, but... Uh, uh, Joshua's job is coming to its end, and so they make a very important move. Chapter 18, verse 1. <clears throat> the whole congregation of Israel assembled together at Shiloh, set up the tabernacle of the congregation there, and the land was subdued before them. And so they're going to set up the tabernacle. That was a big tent, if you recall. We've studied that before. The tabernacle was a tent of worship that God instructed Moses to make out in the wilderness. And it had a large uh, courtyard and there was curtains, poles in the ground with curtains all around it with an entrance on the east side. And they had a laver in there and an altar. And then uh, two sections off, the Holy of Holies in, inside where the Ark of the Covenant would be kept, and then the, the holy place in here, where the priest went in, lit the candle, burned incense, and replaced the showbread on the table. And so that's their place of worship. They have now set it up in Shiloh. They bet at Gilgal, which was their military camp. And now they're saying the wars are over. Let's go up and set this up permanently at Shiloh. And this is an instruction that comes from God. God's the one who tells them that you're supposed to set it up a certain way. Deuteronomy chapter 12. If you go back a book, Deuteronomy chapter 12, and we get some instruction here right in the beginning about the tabernacle, how we're supposed to look at it and think about it. Deuteronomy chapter 12, <coughs> verse 1. These are the statutes and the judgments that you shall observe to do in the land when the Lord God of your Father gives thee to possess it all the days that you live upon the earth. So here's a permanent rule. You shall utterly destroy all the places wherein the nations which you sh shall possess serve their gods, on the high mountains, on the hills, under every green tree. 
And so that's what they would find as they go into the land. There's a, somebody's house up behind it. There's a hill, and they got a, a idol worshiping altar there to Baal. They're all over the place. He says, you find them all and get rid of them. Three, you shall overthrow their altars, break their pillars, burn their groves with fire, shall hew down the graven images of their gods, destroy the names of them out of that place. You shall not do so unto the Lord your God. So you're going to wipe them out. Here's what you're going to do for God. Verse 5. Unto the place which the Lord your God shall choose out of all your tribes to put his name there, even unto his habitation shall ye seek, and thither shalt thou come. And thither you will bring your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, heave offerings of your hand, your vows, your freewill offerings, the first things of your herds and of your flocks. There you shall eat before the Lord your God. You shall rejoice in all he hath put in your hand unto and you and your households wherein the Lord thy God has blessed thee. You shall not do after all the things that we do here today. Every man whatsoever is right in his own eyes. So he says it's not you do what you feel like. It's not that. You're going to set the tent up and wherever I tell you, where he told him was Shiloh, where I want it. Put the tent up of worship in Shiloh. And you're not going to go up on every hill, on every mountain, every little place. You're going to gather in one place. And so uh, from now on, he says, we will all gather here at Shiloh. Everybody's going to gather here. What they had done in the past, wherever they were moving along, moved the tent with them. But of course, the people in the land are all over the place. So he said, This is going to be different now. It's not going to be the same. You are going to put it in one place, and you're going to go there. And there, God will guard his truth, and you will guard his house. And so uh, you say, well, why didn't they make it more convenient? God doesn't make religion to be convenient. It's not what it's for. Not what it's for. God doesn't say, well, well, I don't want to inconvenience you, but that's not what God says. He says, here's how we do it. We gather together in one place. We come, we we worship together, and we do what we do together. In the old days, sacrifices was necessary. Now with Jesus, it's not necessary, but the same rules stand. You're going to gather together in one place. And so God's people were meant to gather together in one place. It's the way God would have it. And that would last in Shiloh for 300 years. For 300 years... The people gathered at Shiloh and worshipped. Now, anybody remember what happened in the end of that? High priest is Eli. Eli's got a couple sons, Hopni and Phineas. People come bring their sacrifice. He says, we'll take that. Takes it and eats it. Take all the best for themselves. They don't care whatever happens to the sacrifice. And finally... 
uh, they decide we're taking the ark into battle, and they go, and they're all killed. And Shiloh becomes a place uh, called Ichabod, or God doesn't want it anymore. When they finally, uh, it was 300 years that they were there. Finally, that, after 300 years, King David would take the Ark of the Covenant from Shiloh onto Jerusalem. And then they would set up worship in Jerusalem. So God intended for people to meet together, not to stay apart, but to meet together. And that's a very important concept that God started right in the beginning. We want our people to join together and worship. Now, chapter 18, verse 2. Now there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes who had not yet received their inheritance. Joshua said to the children of Israel, How long are you slack to go and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given you? And so, <laughs> uh, there's still seven tribes, some of the minor tribes that we talk about, who have not. What are they doing? Well, Joshua says, uh, You need to quit being slackers. <laughs> That's how he put it. I like Joshua. I like Joshua. He says to them, you know, you guys have been fighting, you know, and we've taken all these cities, and now it's your job to possess the land, to get out there, and you've got to move into the cities, and you've got to build places, and you've got to get your herds together and your flocks together, and you're all sitting around Gilgal twiddling your thumbs. Get going. You're slackers. You're not possessing the land. And that is a lot of times, my friends, I'm afraid Joshua's got it exactly right. Uh, uh, we are not getting all that we could have from God because of laziness. Laziness. Take some effort. Take some challenge to get what you can get from God and get up and possess. And he says, for heaven's sakes, what are you doing? Why are you hanging around here? Go out and get what's yours. Take it. Go get it. And he kicks them out, so to speak, gets them going. And they've divided the properties already. They know where they can go, but they've got to stop just hanging around. Now, some of the people did. The tribe of Judah went to south and, and took their property. Other of the tribes, Ephraim and so forth, took their property. But then there's some of these smaller tribes, and they are not motivated to go and possess. And like Jesus said uh, in John 14, you look there, this is something we use at funerals a lot because it's very applicable, but it's all for us in this thing too. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again, receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And so God has prepared 
whatever needs to be given to us, the best things he's prepared already. He just kind of waits and says, when are you going to come and get it? Are you going to come and get it? Are you going to come and possess what you said? How does that apply to people like us today? Well, part of that discipline of getting up, don't be lazy, get up and go get it, is certain things that we encourage you always to do. Read your Bible. Say, well, it's really hard to understand. Well, get one that's not then. Because there are ones out there that aren't. I've talked to you about those plenty. And uh, there are some. They're much easier to read. Go get them, all right? Say, well, I still have a hard time. Well, then we have devotionals. And there's one verse on the top. And you can read through it for a day. But you've got to get yourself disciplined to read the Bible every day. And that's, a, that's what it is. It's a discipline. Now, hopefully you get to be where it's a pleasure. Right? It's where we want to go. All right? But it's a discipline to do it. So, well, I still have a hard time. That's why we have classes. East Shelby was founded on a Bible study class. We were having a Tuesday night Bible study class that grew and grew and grew until we were up to 40 or so in my house. Couldn't fit them all in there anymore, so my father said, well, use my house too. So we had kids' classes in my house, teenage classes in my house, and then in my father's house I taught adults. And that's where we started. You start learning. And I'm very glad that you all come here. It shows um, desire to learn, and that's how we're going to get there. There's prayers. That's a very, read and pray. We sing when we were a kid. B-I-B-L-E, right? That's the book for me. I read and pray and then obey. The B-I-B-L-E. Good. That's perfect. Can't say it any better. Read and pray and then obey. Do what it says, all right? So we, it, those are the kind of things, if we're going to possess more of God, it's going to require of us. And, it, and laziness won't get it done. Never gets anything done. All right? Laziness just won't accomplish. And Joshua said to him, he's, he's pretty much to the point, you're slackers. There's no reason you shouldn't be home somewhere, building your homes, building your cities, taking what you have been given. So get going and do it, he says to them. And he's, he's an old man. He's almost 90, and he's telling them, come on, let's go. Get going and do what you got to do. And down to verse 10, Joshua cast lots for them in Shiloh before the Lord, and there Joshua divided the land to the children of Israel according to their divisions. Right? And so we have these uh, everybody's been given a place to go. Everybody has a possession ready for them, but you got you can't stay here. Get going and possess it. All right. And so there's another warning about uh, serving the Lord and getting more of God in your life. Laziness will keep you from it. It'll keep you from it. And discipline yourselves it's it's what's meant to be and it's a good thing all right now we go on to chapter 19 and here's something in here <coughs> that's pretty interesting 
Now, what they've been doing, chapter 18 and chapter 19, they've been saying, okay, here's your property. You go up here. The next tribe, here's your property. You go here, and they're laying out a map for these people to go, all right? And so uh, they finally get it all set. You all have places to go that you didn't go there. It's not my fault, but I gave you a place to go. And when it's over, verse 49 of chapter 19. When they made an end of dividing the land for inheritance by their coasts, children of Israel gave an inheritance to Joshua, the son of Nun, among them. And according to the word of the Lord, they gave him the city which he asked, even Timnasarah in Mount Ephraim. And he built the city and dwelt therein. And these are the inheritance was Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun. And the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel divided for an inheritance by Lot in Shiloh before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. So they made an end of dividing the country. So who was last in line. Joshua. Joshua is the last person to be given a place to live. And they said there's a city there where you can take your family, uh, Timnus, Sarah. We're going to give that to you. And so of all the people that uh, were waiting and got the, the last person to get anything was Joshua. He's the last one. And so it is with any true leader. Leaders who lead the way God wants, they're willing to wait till last. The country to the king or the main ruler like Joshua, the whole country comes before him. To the church, the church comes before the pastor. To the family, the family comes before the father. And those people who lead the way God wants them to lead instinctively know that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And they wait till last to get what's out there. So that's very much a leadership stand. Uh, You say, well, why would Joshua take the bottom? Because he really is not all that excited about a piece of property. So why wouldn't he be? Well, he he goes, and he's almost 90, and he's got to build where he's going. He got a place that they had to fix up so they could live there. A lot of the cities, you understand, that they took were all functioning cities, except for they threw all the people out. So that's yours. You go right in. Move. That's my house now. Move in. And a lot of them didn't have to do anything. Just move into the city and take it over. Because they didn't destroy all the cities. They destroyed a couple of them along the way. But most of them they didn't destroy. They just drove everybody out. Killed everybody. And now you got a whole village built up. There you go. It's your property. That garden over there belongs to you. This shed is yours. And down the road they go. Now Joshua, he's got a place that needs fixing up. Uh, But for somebody like Joshua, (coughs) he works to earn God's approval. And after that, he doesn't really care what happens. You get God's approval, and then 
whatever else happens to happen. Remember what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount over in Matthew chapter 6. The Sermon on the Mount. This is what Jesus says here. <coughs> Lay not up for yourself treasures upon earth where moth and rust does corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust does corrupt nor where thieves do not break through and steal. What did he say? For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And Joshua's heart is up in heaven. It's not in anything down here. So wanting God's approval was what he worked for and what he got. That's what makes him such an extraordinary leader. He's one of the best leaders in the Bible. He's one of the best leaders in the Bible. Moses lost his temper a few times, got shut out of the promised land. David, you know, David had a lot of problems along the way. Right? He said, these are great men. They are great men, but they had trouble along the way. Joshua, what did he do wrong? About the only thing we ever came across was he was on the ground praying after Ai, and God said, get up. Get going. And that's kind of always been the message to God. Get up and get going. Let's go. Let's get to work. And Joshua, after that, has been an extraordinary leader. One of the best ones in the Bible. Doesn't get enough attention from us in this day. Uh, but his message is, what? Don't be a slacker. <laughs> that's why he's not so popular. <laughs> Are you lazy? Come on. What's the matter with you people? He says to them. So Joshua has his own unique way of looking at things. All right, now, chapter 20. So we get a couple things. God's people are supposed to gather together, not be lazy, do the will of God. And people who are serving God got to remember the first shall be last and the last shall be first. He that would be greatest must be the servant of all. You want to serve the Lord the best, then you serve everybody. Be the servant of all, and you'll have it right. Chapter 20. Now, we come to 20. <coughs> Let's begin here. The Lord also spake to Joshua, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, Appoint out for you cities of refuge, whereof I spake unto you by the hand of Moses. That the slayer that killeth any person unawares and unwittingly may flee thither. They shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. And when he that doth flee unto one of these cities shall stand at the entering of the gate of the city, shall declare his cause in the ears of the elders of that city, they shall take him into the city unto them, give him a place that he may dwell among them. And if the avenger of blood pursue after him, and they shall not deliver the slayer up into his hand, because he smote his neighbor unwittingly and hated him not before time. He shall dwell in that city till he stand before the congregation for judgment, and until the death of the high priest shall be in those days, and shall the slayer return, come to his own city, to his own house, to the city from which they fled. And so they're going to appoint cities. Verse 7, they appointed Kadesh and Galilee and Mount uh, Naphtala and Shechem, Mount Ephraim 
Kereth Arba, which is Hebron, in the mountain of Judah. And on the other side of Jordan, by Jericho, they assigned Bezer in the wilderness, upon the plain out of the tribe of Reuben, and Ramoth in Gilead, out of the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan, out of the tribe of Manasseh. These were the cities appointed for the children of Israel. So, here's the way God set it up. It's what he wanted. <clears throat> so, you're moving a rock with your neighbor, trying to big that big old rock, and somebody pushes that little extra hard, and it rolls and crushes the poor fella. So, what would happen was somebody in his family was called the avenger of blood. Now, it may not be... Uh, his, his wife or husband or whatever. It could be an uncle or somebody else. But they'd be pointed. So uh, somebody in my family died. You're out to get the person that did it. You are called the avenger of blood. And that, but the guy said, but I didn't roll it on my purpose. It was an accident. Well, the avenger of blood is coming after you anyway. So there's these five cities here. Uh, or actually there's six of them. Six cities called cities of refuge. Run. Run as fast as you can go. Get to one of these cities. Now they're spread out on one side of Jordan, on the other side of Jordan, up in the north, down in the south is Hebron. And so wherever you are in the land of Israel, you can get to one of those cities. It's not going to be uh, impossibly far to go. Run and go, and when you come up to the gate, uh, tell them, I'm here because I had an accident, somebody died, I was there, and when it happened, and the family's after me, they're sending one of their family members to a vet, and they'll say, okay, you didn't mean it, it's accidental, you're welcome to come in. And you can stay in this city and be safe here for as long as you live. Or if the high priest dies, then everything goes back and you can go home. And you're free, you can go home. <clears throat> All right, so the first thing you do, you come to the gate and there's leaders or people in the gate, that would be the local government in the place, and you tell them what happened. Here's what happened. And they decide, okay, it's a genuine article. You're, you can come on in, and, uh, and God will protect you uh, for as long as you want. Understand, if you go outside, no protection. It's very much like salvation. We're going to come to Christ, and you're going to say, here's what I did. He's going to say, okay, you're free. You can stay with me. You're free. You decide you don't want to stay with him, then you take the consequences. But if you stayed in the city of refuge, you were there. Now, I want to make clear, because nowadays we have cities called sanctuary cities. That's got nothing to do with this. Now, the sanctuary cities like the ones in California called sanctuary cities. Don't, <laughs> they got no, <laughs> this is not their model. You can do anything you want, all right? 
do anything you want, do any murder or whatever you want, and then run to one of those sanctuary cities. And they'll cover your evil. And you know that this is becoming more and more and more and more widespread. Is that if someone does wrong, no, the Bible's pretty clear. You, if you're going to go into a sanctuary, into one of these cities of refuge, you are innocent. You have been accused. Somebody has decided, but if you are genuinely innocent, and you can tell the story, it's okay. You can do that. And so, uh, what God's trying to tell us with the sanctuary cities, uh, or cities, as he calls them, of refuge, the cities of refuge is trying to uh, give an emphasis on the value of human life. can't spill blood just for any cause whenever you feel like it. There's a value in human life. And so, understand that every life is God breathed. And we started with Adam and Eve, and he said, the Bible says he, he made them out of the dust of the earth, or he used the basic building chemicals and put these bodies together in a wonderful way, made these bodies, and then he says he breathed the breath of life into them, and they came to life. And Jesus, we just saw Sunday in our Sunday school class, what did he say? I am the resurrection and the life. All right, so anybody that's here breathing or in any place in the world got their life from the life giver, which is Jesus. So if human life came from God directly, uh, you don't have the ability to just do whatever you want with it. God says it's much more valuable. It comes from me. I breathe it into you, and I expect it to be respected. And so the cities of refuge were more for uh, misconstrued ideas about uh, I'm going to avenge Somebody in my family, the avenger of blood. Now, if you look at a couple things, I'll show you just exactly how God looks at it. We start in the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, and right away, we get God's opinion on human life. <coughs> Genesis chapter 4. In verse 8, Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field, Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. So he killed his brother. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And so uh, life taken not in murder uh, is something God takes very seriously and he says human blood human blood cries out in my ear and asks for revenge human blood God says it speaks it cries out the blood of Abel speaks All right, now you go look at Revelation 
chapter 6, the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 6, <clears throat> verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, does thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell upon the earth? So we got it in the first book of the Bible. First thing happens, first murder, the voice of blood is crying. We go all the way to Revelations, at the very end of time, what's happening? The voice of blood is still crying out. How long, they say, are you going to wait to avenge us? These are people who died for believing in Christ. Right? People who died for believing in Christ at the end of time. Who gave their lives, and they're waiting by the altar, and they're asking God, are you going to avenge us? Yeah, I am. I am. So God considers human life to be a very special very uh, important thing, and so he's going to protect it. In the government that Joshua's actually setting up, which is what he's doing, he set up Shiloh for the tabernacle, right? And he has set up the cities of refuge for people who uh, make a mistake and somebody gets hurt and they happen to be there. He says, I'll protect those kind of people because. I don't want innocent blood shed, and I'm going to watch over people. So the cities of refuge were very interesting and good thing. You had to present your case as soon as you got there. Now, there's one more thing. Uh, there were six cities of refuge, and they were all Levite cities. Get to that in just a minute. That's coming up next. All right. But they were Levite city. So when you went there and said, I want to present my case, who are they? Well, they're priests. God's priests who are in the temple doing work. And they usually did it in like three month shifts. You go work there for three months, and then you go home, and another family would go work for three months and go home. And that was the way it was done. And so these, these cities of refuge are run by the tribe of Levi. And so you're not talking to some guy who's some character. You're talking to a guy, when you present your case, who regularly works in the temple and knows all about God. So it's a much more fair system than anything that we have. Certainly in our day, we don't know anything about that. All right? we, they couldn't be more confused than they are now. Chapter 21, let's go on. Some of these details that are, we're putting together as Joshua is about ready to say, here, I'm going to get everything ready for you so that you'll know how to live. Chapter 21. Then came near the heads of the fathers of the Levites unto Eleazar the priest, to Joshua the son of Nun, to the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel. 
They spake to them at Shiloh in the land of Canaan, saying, The Lord commanded by the hand of Moses to give us cities to dwell in with the suburbs, therefore, for our cattle. And the children of Israel gave to the Levites out of their inheritance at the commandment of the Lord those cities and their suburbs. And so there are four major families that came from Aaron the high priest. Now you know that Moses and Aaron were brothers. All right, Moses and Aaron were brothers. And Aaron was made the high priest, the first one. And his family will take four different branches. All right, they'll end up being four different branches. And you could be in any one of these branches. And they're kind of all cousins, but they're all related to Moses. And so they're going to give uh, to the first group which would be the direct descendants of Aaron. Some of these are kind of descendants of a son or a grandson or something. But the ones that can say, Aaron is my great, 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 great grandfather. All right. I can show directly that. They're going to be given uh, the first cities. And <clears throat> it says that uh, they got 13 cities. And then there was 10, and then there was another group that got 13 more, and then we come to the last one, it's 12, right? So it's 10, 20, 30, 48 cities. 48 cities are given to the tribe of Levi. Five of those cities are cities of refuge, right? So that the judges who are appointed there know God. And so these cities are given to them and the property around them so they can live in the city, have their sheep or cattle outside the city, grow their gardens or whatever. They get 48 cities. They don't have any property, so to speak, but they are given cities and the responsibility comes from all the people once again. And so it's 10% of your income goes to the tribe of Levi. And then there's these cities that come from among your property. You're going to turn over to the tribe of Levi. And there's 48 of them spread all over. It's interesting to note that Aaron's direct line got 13 cities. And if you were to look at one of our maps, okay, we've got Israel here, uh, Shiloh's up here, Shiloh's there, and that's where the Ark of the Covenant is. And Aaron's family, direct descendants, are all, their cities are all down around here, around this area. There's 13 cities down there. Okay. Just to show you that God knows what he's doing. Right? 300 years later, Shiloh becomes rejected because of the sons of Eli. The Ark of the Covenant was actually taken by the Philistines. All right? And so the Ark, David will move it to city right there called Jerusalem. And isn't it funny that all the high priest family 
lives right around Jerusalem. They've got 13 cities around Jerusalem. Why? Because God knew where it was going. 300 years before anything happened, God already knew, I'm going to send the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. David's going to walk in and worship and sing as he does. And then they're going to build us a house in Jerusalem. And they do. They settle. And so God knows the future. And he shows that he's got a plan that the high priest will all live very close to Jerusalem where they got to go and do the work of the priesthood. So uh, they're supporting with 10% money. And they've given now cities their own places to live, although they don't own property. They don't own property. They have the right to live in these cities. And they will live in those cities, uh, but they don't actually own the property. So that's kind of a plan of God. 10% was what they gave to support them. And that's an Old Testament thing. I don't care how many Bible teachers tell you it's a New Testament thing. It is not. It's an Old Testament thing. Now, there's nothing wrong with somebody saying, I want to give 10%. A lot of people I know do that. My parents did it all their life, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's a number you might pick, and that's entirely in the New Testament up to you. And does God respect it? God respects whoever gives, whatever they give. All right, and there's a lot more things to give than money. But it is God's plan. And one of the things that I said when we started this church, I made a promise when those people were sitting in my living room. (laughs) There'd be about 30 people in my living room. You ever been in there? 30 people is a lot of people. One little space. They actually sat up the stairs. They were sitting on every stair going up through. They were everywhere. <laughs> Even more than 30 sometimes. And I made a promise to them, I'm never going to talk about money, which I haven't, other than something like I just said. Because it's not my business, it's your business now. In those days, it was the people who were responsible. Because this was a theocracy. It was a government based on God that God set up. We don't live in those anymore. There isn't any. Believe me. <laughs> there isn't any governments like that left anymore. So, All right. Chapter 22. Here we have this really unusual story. Um. Keep, keep in mind what's happened so far. You remember they came up after 40 years of wandering out of the wilderness and they come to cross the Jordan River. They cross over into the Jordan River. But before they do, while they're on this side, there's a big old king named Og and Bashan and these guys on the other side of the Jordan are whipped by Moses while he's still there. And so there's this beautiful grassland on this side. And there's two tribes and a half tribe who say to Moses, you know, we got a lot of sheep 
We sure like this grassland. This is perfect for us. And he says, I will give you, you two tribes and a half, I'll give you that property under the condition that you go over the river and fight with the rest of them. And after the fighting's done, then you go back. All right? So, as Joshua is setting things up, come to chapter 22. Joshua called the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Those are the two and a half tribes. Said unto them, You kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, have obeyed my voice, and all that I command you. You have not left your brethren these many days unto this day, but have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God hath given rest to your brethren as he promised them. Therefore now return ye, get you unto your tents, to the land of your possession, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of Jordan. He says, so, what they did, they came to here, they're going to go across and fight, and they said, Mom and Dad, you're too old, you can stay over here, take one of those cities. My wife is going with the kids, and they're going to take this place and that place, and they sent their whole family systems uh, up on this side of Jordan. And they said, we're going across the fighting men that will go across and fight. They've been there for seven years. And they haven't been home in seven years. Okay? They did exactly what they were told. Cross that river and fight. And they went and they fought. All the time, mom and dad and the kids and the missus are on the other side of the river over there. So he says, you can go home, verse 5. Take diligent heed to do the commandment and the law, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, charged you, to love the Lord your God, walk in all his ways, keep his commandments, cleave to him, serve him with all your heart, with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them, sent them away, and they went to their tents. Now, to one half the tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given possession in Bashan. The other half therefore gave Joshua among the brethren on the side of the Jordan westward. So Joshua sent them away unto their tents, and he blessed them. And he spake to them, saying, Return with much riches to your tent, very much cattle, silver and gold, and brass and iron, very much raiment. Divide the spoil of your enemies with your brethren. So he says, go, Fill your pockets before you go home. You've earned it. So I want you to get the spoils. They've been collecting spoils of war. And I want you to fill your pockets and then go home. So that's what they do. They're going to go home. Verse 10. When they come to the borders of Jordan that are in the land of Canaan, the children of Israel, children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh, built there an altar by a Jordan, a great altar to see to. So they cross the river. And they make this great big altar. For sacrificing. And it has similarity to the altar in Shiloh. Okay? Now, watch this. Verse 11. Children of Israel heard say, Behold, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh have built an altar over against the land of Canaan in the borders of Jordan, passage of the children of Israel. When the children of Israel heard it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered themselves together at Shiloh to go up to war against them. So they got a message somehow, some tattletale. 
said they, they got just across the river and they built a great big altar. Well, we're not going to have that. For heaven's sake, who they think they are, building an altar. The children of Israel sent to the children of Reuben, Gad, and half tribe of Manasseh, uh, the land of Gilead, Phineas, the son of Eleazar the priest, and with him ten princes. He takes a whole bunch of people, and they come up to them, verse 16, and said, The whole congregation of the Lord, what trespass is this that you have committed against the God of Israel to turn away this day from following the Lord, that you build it an altar, that you might rebel against the Lord today? Is the iniquity of Peor too little for us, which we are not cleansed until this day? When the children of Israel were still under Moses, the Midianite women... Uh, came along and enticed the Israelites. And so they set up a little altar for Baal, Baal Peor, they called him in, out of Midian, and they started worshiping him. And the high priest uh, went right in the tent where a man and a woman were and ran a, a spear right through both of them at once. Said, we're going to put an end to this. Well, there was a plague that came because of it, and a lot of people died. And so they said, last time this happened, it was a bad thing. We don't want you doing that again. <clears throat> Verse 19, notwithstanding, if the land of your possession be unclean, then pass over the land of the possession of the Lord, wherein the Lord tabernacle dwelleth. Take a possession of us, but rebel not against the Lord, nor against us in building here an altar beside the Lord. I said, if you think your land is dirty again or something, you come back over the river and stay with us. But don't you go over there and build another altar. Verse 20, did not Achan, the son of Zerach, commit a trespass in the accursed thing, and the wrath fell on all the congregation of Israel? So what they're saying, you remember Achan? He hid the, the Babylonian garment under his the sand in his tent. So you remember that? What happened? We got beat in battle by a little hick town called Ai. And so you understand if you go doing something, we're going to get in trouble too. So you're in our sights. You keep going, we're attacking. We are not going to put up with you serving another God. All right? Sounds like serious business, doesn't it? All right, let's see what happens. Verse 22. They're going to give an answer. The Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods, he knoweth. Israel he shall know if it be rebellion or in transgression against the Lord. Save us not this day that we have built us an altar to turn from following the Lord or to offer their own burnt offerings, meat offerings, peace offerings. Let the Lord himself require it. He said God knows what's in our heart. God knows why we built this altar. All right, You don't. And if we have not rather done it for fear of this thing, saying, in time to come, your children might speak to our children, saying, what are we to do with the Lord God of Israel? For the Lord has made Jordan a border between us and you, you children of Reuben and the children of Gad, and you have no part in the Lord. So shall your children make our children cease from fearing the Lord. All right. He says, 
There's a reason we built this altar over here. And he said, we know what happened. We know we served over there with you for seven years, and you were there, you know too. But when you cross that Jordan River, it's a pretty serious border. It will guarantee almost separation because of, to this day, it's a border. It's got the two lakes, Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River, and the Dead Sea. Makes a very permanent border between this side and that side. That's why Israel's over here on the Sea of Galilee, and they fight for the Golan Heights over there on the other side. Still that today. So they said, when we come across this river, when we went over the first time, God shut it off and we walked on dry ground. This time we had to swim over, get back home. He said, and, and we understand that it is a natural separating thing and we don't want your children to grow up and they forgot that we fought for your cities and your towns. And we fought side by side with you for seven years. They forgot about it. And so we don't want your children saying, hey, you people on the other side of Jordan, you're not, you're not one of us. You're over there somewhere. You're not one of us. And so we decided to build this altar here. To build this altar. And we're going to build this altar so that in the future, when people come over and say, well, you people are on the wrong side of the tracks over there. You people on the wrong side of the tracks, you don't really belong with us. They say, come here. Look at this big old altar. You know what that's there for? Because we fought for your homeland. We fought side by side with you, and we served God, and Joshua himself said, you did the right thing. You deserve now to finally go home. And when we crossed that river, we thought, man, it's sort of a natural separating point here. And so it is in life, there are things that separate people from each other. It's just sort of a natural part of living. We come up against things that separate us. People move away. I don't know, is there anybody here that was here in the beginning? Anybody here? I don't think there's anybody here that was here in the very beginning. They moved away. They died. Different things happened. And they're all spread out and moved away. All right? And they're all separated. And life has a way of separating. I grew up with four children and a family of four children. They're all over the United States. This is kind of natural that people get separated from each other, all right? And so they said this separation, we don't want it to happen that in the end, in the end, uh, your children and our children say, we got nothing to do with you. We fought for your home. And so we built this altar to be similar to the one in Shiloh so that people could look at it. Yeah, it kind of looks like the one in Shiloh. Yeah, because we are the same as you, although we be separated. All right, although we be separated. So they built an altar because they sensed that it would always be separation between them. They were right. They were right.
it would be a separating force for years and years. It would be a separating force. Who came out of east of Jordan? No, Philistines are over here. Who came out? What man of God came out of the other side of Jordan? One. In the whole Bible, there's one. Elijah. Elijah came from Gilead. He was the wild man came out of the mountain. On the other side of the river in Gilead. He's the only one. Now, he's one of the best ones. <laughs> he gets a lot of points for being a good one. He's a wonderful prophet. But they didn't contribute a lot to what went on. They were right. There was a separating thing. And what happens to them in the end uh, is kind of a tragedy here. Uh, let me get to the right. First Chronicles. First Chronicles. Chapter 5, which is early in, in the history of Israel. First Chronicles, chapter 5. I'm looking at verse number 25. They're talking about the people on the other side of Jordan here. They transgressed against the God of their fathers and went a-whoring after the gods of the people of the land whom God destroyed before them. And the God of Israel stirred up the spirit of Pul, king of Assyria, the spirit of Tigopanezer, king of Assyria, and carried them away, even the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and brought them to Halo, Habahara, and river uh, Gozan unto this day. The first people that went captive were those people on the other side of the river. They were separated. They were right in the beginning. They said there's a natural separation and we're going to try to avoid that happening. And so there's a couple of lessons here. Uh, when we separate ourselves from God's people, it's not good. It is not good. And these people knew it in the beginning and tried to warn against it. Unfortunately, uh, they failed. All right. So, as he said, the reminder, what we wanted the altar to represent is that your children and our children will stay together. It was a good assessment. They were right. All right? Only Elijah came from the other side of that river. And then what happened? They were taken captive long before the other people on the other side. Because they were cut off. Cut off. So, when we cut ourselves off from God's people... A dangerous thing. Second lesson, though, is what? Be careful how you judge, right? They're going to go to war. The other people on the other side, look, they build an altar. Let's go kill them. Who do they think they are doing something against God? Come to find out, they misjudged their motive. They misjudged their motive. And so it's a real intense warning that these people who were jealous for God didn't quite have all the facts. And they misjudged the motive of these people when they built the altar. 
So some pretty interesting lessons in chapter 22. It's easy to serve a long, well, it's not easy, to serve a long time, serve God, and then God says, here's your reward, go get it. They said, we want to make sure nobody ever forgets what happened. That's really important for Christians to be grounded in this way. Because we're not, in our modern Christian age, we're not getting grounded in this way. Um, People like Martin Luther, you know what he did? You're sitting here because of Martin Luther. What he did, how he fought to have a church separate from the Catholic Church when they had gone astray. You're sitting here because of people like John Knox. What did John Knox do? He was going to lead the people uh, against the king because the king was saying, we're going to run the church, and he said, not mine, you're not. You're not running mine, and he stood up against the king, and they tried to kill him, I think they did kill him in the end, uh, but uh, there's a people like that uh, made it so that we're sitting here today. Uh, there's a lot of people, Benj- or not Benjamin Franklin, but the pilgrims. Pilgrims came here. John Bunyan was in prison because he was bringing the truth out, and he helped us to have more truth. And pilgrims came here to find a free home. In a place where they could worship freely. That's why America was founded, to find a place to worship freely. And so the altar is there. And the names are there. Don't forget what they did. Uh, James Madison, who guaranteed the freedom to worship when he was writing out the, the Constitution and what he put down in there is a guarantee that we are free of government control. That's a good thing. You ought to know that by now. You ought to be free of that. So uh, the altar on the other side of Jordan was meant to remind that these people fought seven years to give you your home over there. And they're to be remembered as faithful servants of the Lord. And they got accused of rebellion because somebody misjudged them and judged their motives wrongly. So they have a lot of good lessons in here. here. Get up, quit being slackers, right? (laughs) The cities of refuge value human life, right? And the, the cities... And we support God's people. And then uh, the crossing back over to build the altar. We warned against separation. Just like Shiloh said, you all come here. Come here to worship. I want you to be together. We get warned against separation twice here in this. We should be almost finished as we gather next week. Thank you.